Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you all. Welcome back. Thank you. I've been gone for a, uh, I've been gone for a couple weeks, and I'm happy to be back. In fact, forever. It was two weeks. So who said that? You sound like a teenager. All right. Oh, sorry. I criticized you before I saw it was you. If I saw it was you, I would have never said it. Um, so uh, I'm glad that you guys are here, and we are continuing the series that we have. We need to edit this out in the when we put this online. We are in a series called Titles of the Christ, and we are now at part four in that series. And I told you back when we first started the series that we were going to talk about seven titles of Jesus Christ. That was the plan for the series, to talk about seven different titles or seven different roles, seven different functions that Jesus you know, uh, performs in our lives, that he, roles that he plays in our life. And so we have already covered uh, prophet, priest, and king. And now we moved on to uh, part, today we move on to part four, which is God. And the title, um, <clears throat> this, the title of Jesus Christ that we are discussing today is the title God. So the, the sermon topic would be the divinity of Jesus Christ. Um, as you know, there are some people who believe in this and there are some people who do not, right? There are some people who believe that Jesus Christ is divine, he is God in the flesh, and then there are some people who believe that he is not. He was just a significant religious historical figure. Um, for the people who do not believe it, if you happen to be here today or you're watching online or anything like that, um, if you don't believe that Jesus is God, it is important for me to be able to preach sermons like this one because if you are right, then we are idolizing Jesus. Like we at this church and pretty much most Christians at most churches all over the world are idolizing Jesus. And I use the word idolizing on purpose, like making an idol out of Jesus, like taking a created thing and worshiping him as if he's God, right? So we would be by definition like overvaluing Jesus, right? Are you following that? So every once in a while, I need to make the case like here at church that we are not doing that, okay? That we are not idolizing Jesus. In fact, that it is impossible to idolize Jesus because he's God. It is impossible to overvalue Jesus because he's God. Now, for those of you who do believe it, okay, for those of you who say, well, I believe Jesus is God, and then you showed up today, I could imagine that you might be thinking right now, like, oh, like, I already know this. Like, I didn't know, you know, like, I got up this morning and thought oh, I should go to church, you know, because good Christians go to church or whatever. And so I decided to come, and then I hear that the point of the sermon is going to be Jesus is God, and like, you know, I, like, I already know that. And so I would say this to you, I'm glad that you're here, Okay. I believe that this, what we're going to teach this morning, needs to be solid in your mind and fresh in your memory because there will come a day when someone will criticize you or someone will accuse you of taking Jesus too seriously. That is going to happen. Like there's going to come a day, it might be that you are making, um, in the midst of like making an unpopular decision, okay? And I, unpopular in the view of the people that are around you at the time, right? And you say, well, I can't do that. And they're like, no, come on. And you're like, no, the Bible says, or no, Jesus wouldn't want me to do that, right? And they're gonna say to you, maybe not in these words, but basically like, who cares what he thinks? You just need to do what you need to do. In fact, you need to do what's best for you. You're saying Jesus says that? You're saying the Bible says that? Like that seems, it just doesn't even seem reasonable to me. Like that doesn't seem to be what's best for you. Why don't you just be the judge of what's best for you? Or there's going to come a time where someone's going to try to get you involved in something and you're going to say, well, I can't be involved in that. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm involved in my church. And they're going to go, well, can't you just like skip a week one time? Right? And you're going to say, well, yeah, I can skip a week one time, but I can't skip all the weeks. Like, I need to show up there because those are my people and that's where I come together with them and I, I worship Jesus. 
And they're going to say back, and they may not say it back, but, they, but the attitude might be like, why do you have to do that? Why do you have to go worship Jesus over and over again? Every Sunday? Like, does he not remember how you felt seven days before? Like, can't you just, I mean, he's Jesus. Can't you just one time say, I love you, and then move on with your life? Why do you have to, like, keep going back over and over again? So there's going to come a day when someone is going to criticize you for taking Jesus too seriously. Someone's going to accuse you of that. And on that day, you will need teaching like the one you're about to get in this sermon, and you will need it to be burned into your memory so that you can handle that temptation when it comes. Are you ready? Okay, good, because I'm preaching on this whether you're ready or not. But if you get yourself ready, it will be better for you. Okay, did you know that? Like, did you know there are things you can do like up in your brain that can make this better or worse than for you? I don't, I don't know if you know that. I, I, I think this is true of the sermon I'm about to preach. I think it's actually true of every sermon we do here. So I'm, I'm gonna teach you something. This is just bonus material this morning. Okay, when you show up at church, and here you are, and you're, and you're listening, and I'm preaching. Like, you, you have a job to do. And, and if you can decide mentally ahead of time, and this is something you can actually do right now in your seat, okay? If you decide ahead of time, I am probably about to hear a good thing. And therefore, it is my responsibility to grab a hold of it and make it my own. If you do that, if you listen like that, it will be better for you than if you listen like like you're um, an organic security camera, just like taking in the footage and recording the sound, right? And just like observing what's happening in the room, right? Those are two different ways of listening, right? And so I believe that you can take, you have the power to do this. I don't know if you thought about this. I believe that you can take a good sermon or even a mediocre one and turn it into a great one by what you do with it. Are you ready for that? All right. So here we go. Jesus Christ is God. That's the point of the sermon this morning. Jesus Christ is God. I am aware that this is a somewhat controversial claim, and it tends to be a claim that divides Christians from non-Christians, meaning that it tends to be Christians who say that they are the people who believe that Jesus is God, and it tends to be people who are not Christians who would say that Jesus is not God. They believe that there was a Jesus, but that he is not divine. So that, this is kind of a dividing line issue. Not, not necessarily always. It, it, mostly true that the people who believe Jesus is God are Christians and the people who believe Jesus is God are not Christians. But there, I mean, there are some exceptions. Like I can give you, it is possible to believe that Jesus is God and not be a Christian. Okay. Did you know that? Like I'll, I'll get to give you an example of a famous person that fits this description. Satan. Okay. <laughs> have, have you heard of him? Okay. So <laughs> Satan, um, Satan, I'm pretty sure knows that Jesus is God, but Satan is a non-Christian. Amen? Okay, now if you cannot amen that, you can't amen anything around here. I mean, this is like basic Christianity 101. I'm really, like, you don't even have to be a Christian. Like, say, this is the truth I just said. Satan is a non-Christian. If we cannot agree on that, we cannot agree on anything, okay? Satan is a non-Christian. So I say that to point out it is possible to be someone who believes that Jesus is God, but not be loyal to him, to not love him and not trust him and not serve him. But, but I'm saying generally speaking, it is true that the people who believe in that Jesus is God are the people who are the Christians and typically people who believe Jesus is not God, they're not Christians. Now, lots of um, non-Christians would say, of course, Jesus is not God, but that doesn't mean I disrespect him. 
okay? No, I don't believe Jesus is God, but he was a great religious teacher. Have you heard this? I've, plenty of people would say this. Well, no, I don't believe he's like divine, God come here, but I do greatly respect him as a religious leader, one of the most incredible religious leaders in all of history. I definitely respect him as a religious teacher. And in fact, there are some people who would even say, it's, the Bible itself actually does not claim that Jesus is God. The Bible doesn't even teach that Jesus is God. He is an incredible religious leader, but the Bible doesn't say that Jesus is God. So how can we know that the Bible teaches that Jesus is God? So the short answer to that would be this. The Bible teaches that Jesus is God explicitly and implicitly. By explicitly, I, I don't mean like with cuss words. I mean um, like directly, like it's very clearly said, like that Jesus is God. It's taught in a very clear, straightforward way. And then by implicitly, I mean e there are even more places in Scripture than the explicit places. There are more places where it's just assumed that Jesus is God. The Bible verse wouldn't make sense if you didn't already believe that. So I'm going to show you this in the Scriptures. Um, we're going to start with an explicit passage. Okay, we're going to start with John chapter 1, and I want to show you where it teaches that Jesus is God. If you have your Bible with you, turn to John chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. This is the way that John, the, the Gospel of John begins. It begins with these words, in the beginning was the word. Let me just pause there. So John begins this gospel, and what are the first three words of the gospel? In the beginning, okay? Now, there is, an, there is another very famous book that begins with the same three words, okay? What is it? Genesis. Genesis. So this is good. Now, Genesis existed way before John did, okay? Genesis is in the Old Testament. So by the time John is writing this, like Genesis is already, like that's been a bestseller for a while at this point. And so when he says in the beginning, like I think that his readers would have gone, said, oh, oh, that's, yeah, he's not just randomly saying in the beginning, like that's a reference to something we all know about, okay? He, so he's saying here in the beginning, just like Genesis begins, in the beginning was the word. That, so there was some time period before there was a, like created things, right? Because that's how Genesis begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, it's, so he's, he's referring to this in the beginning, that there is some time bef before all the created things. So back in the beginning, okay, back before there, was any, there were any created things, in the beginning was the word. So there is something that was there back before there were any created things. Now I say something, we're about to find out it's a someone. But at this point, I'm just gonna say something because that's how far we've gotten. Okay, so back before there were things, back in the beginning, before the creation of the world, there was this something called the Word. Now look at the next phrase. And the Word was with God. So whatever this something is, this something is not the exact same thing as God the Father, right? Because the Word was with God. The fact that the Word was with God shows that whatever this something is, it's something different than God the Father. And yet, look at the next phrase. And the Word was God. So back in the beginning, before there were any created things, there was this something. The something is not exactly the same thing as God the Father, and yet the something is God, equal to God. And then it goes on. It says, he was with God in the beginning, so different than God because he's with God. And yet, look at the next verse. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. So all of the created things that have been created, right, were created by him making him an uncreated thing, right? He's one of the uncreated things that's there with God at the beginning, and he's God. He's, he's different than God the Father because he's with God, and yet he's God because, look, all things were created through him. I mean, if you, if you go back to Genesis, 
Who is the person in the beginning who created all things? God. And yet here, it's the, it's the word that was with God and was God. That's the something that created everything that's been created. So who or what is this word? Well, if you keep going, we're gonna read. Um, this is John chapter one, verse 14. So this is just a little bit further down on the page. This is the same page, same topic being talked about. John 1, 14 says this. The word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So whatever this word is that created all things and is God and was with God, at some point became flesh. This something was, was like a human, right? Became flesh and took up residence among us. The one who created all things showed up and lived among us as a human and was known as the son from the father. Who could this someone be? Well, if we haven't figured it out yet, 15 really gives it away, okay? So look at John chapter one, verse 15. John testified concerning him. So if we're going, okay, so there's a someone, there's a, there's a human being that was walking around on this earth, residing among us, who was the word at the beginning that brought all things into existence. Of all the humans that have ever existed, which one could it possibly be? John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me has surpassed me because he existed before me. Now, I think when this was originally read, it was obvious who that John was. It may not be to you, but it's John the Baptist. If you keep reading, you figure out John the Baptist is the John that's being referred to here. It doesn't say John the Baptist because apparently the original readers, when they read it, just went, oh, John testified concerning him. Yeah, yeah, John, John, we know who John is. They knew, they knew which John it was. John the Baptist testified concerning him saying, and this is what John the Baptist said about Jesus. And so if we're asking the question, who is this word who brought all things into existence and is God living among us? The answer, according to John chapter one, is the guy that John the Baptist pointed to. Like the day that John the Baptist said, that one, him, that's the one who existed before I ever came along. He's saying, that's the one who is the word. That's the one who is God in the beginning. Um, so, and then it actually says the name Jesus Christ in verse 17. So John chapter one is a place in the Bible where Jesus is called God quite clearly. I mean, I know it doesn't literally say the words, Jesus is God, but I mean, it says the word is God and Jesus is the word. So, I mean, it's, it's very clear. But the other thing that I wanted you to know, and I think this is also important, maybe in some ways even more important, the Bible not only refers to Jesus as God in places like that very clearly, but more often than it does that, it just assumes it. And so I wanted to read to you some sentences from this book, okay? This is, um, the title of this book is The Doctrine of God. It's by a guy named John Frame. Um, John Frame was a seminary professor that I had. I took a seminary class from him. In fact, this is a systematic theology textbook that I had to buy when I took his class. <clears throat> he was one of those professors that makes you buy his book in order to take his class. Have you ever been in one of those? So that's, so that's it. So John Frame made me buy this book and I did, and it's a good book. Okay, I don't think any of you are gonna read it because, well, goodness gracious, look. This is the Bible. <laughs> and this is how long, how, how huge his book is. So I, I, think, I think most of you are not going to read it because it is long and technical. But I wanna read to you just a little bit of it because there's something he says in here and it's maybe one of the first places I ever saw this argument made and I think it's really good and important for you to get. So this is on page 647. 
and it's the section that says, taking Jesus's deity for granted, okay? And it's a section about that. He's about to give a whole bunch of, verse, a whole bunch of Bible verses and explain them all for like paragraphs and paragraphs, talking about where the Bible takes Jesus's deity for granted. This is not the section of the book where it talks about the places where the Bible says that he's God. He does get to that um, starting here, okay? But this is before he ever gets to the places where it says Jesus is God. He starts with taking Jesus' deity for granted. So let me go ahead and read this to you. This is on page 647. He says, here are some examples from the New Testament in which the deity of Christ is taken for granted rather than positively asserted. Jesus's teaching in the Gospels is remarkably egocentric. In the Sermon on the Mount, the last beatitude describes the blessedness of those who are persecuted because of me. Okay, and because of me is in quotes. Like Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of me. Me, the me in that sentence being him, okay? So he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of me. This persecution is like the persecution of the Old Testament prophets because of Yahweh. He says that in verse 12. In the comparison, the apostles are prophets and Jesus is Yahweh. You, do you get what he's saying here? Like he's talking about, in fact, I'm, I didn't give them this verse, but I read it in the first service, so I might as well be, I might as well be fair. Um, the, the verse that he's referring to actually says this. He, uh, it's in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. He says these words. Jesus is preaching to the people, and he says, you are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. It's weird. He doesn't say you're blessed when they say every kind of evil against you because of God. He says, you're blessed when you're persecuted because of me, okay? Be glad and rejoice. Now look why. Because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets, who were before you. Do you see the comparison he's making? He's saying, hey, it's good when you get persecuted for following me, not following God, following me. And he says, and that's, your reward will be great in heaven because this is how it's always been. This is like how it was in the Old Testament when the prophets were persecuted for serving Yahweh. Like, do you see the comparison he's making? He's saying like, there are these people who have been persecuted because they serve God. And that's what's happening when you are persecuted for following me. Like he puts himself in the position of God, in the analogy. Let me show you another one. This is the next page over, page 648. He says, Jesus's egocentrism is even more obvious in the Gospel of John. There he draws attention to himself over and over. I am, he claims, the bread of life, the light of the world, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life, and so on. I just want you to think about that for a second. Can you imagine, I know people say, like, oh, Jesus is a good, he's not God, but he's a good religious teacher. Can you imagine a good religious teacher getting up in front of people and saying, not, not saying I am teaching the truth, but saying I am the truth. Who did he think he was? Who does he think he is that he would talk like this? Look at this next one. This is page 649. As D. James Kennedy points out, Jesus in the gospels never withdraws or modifies a statement, never apologizes or repents, though among human beings, such is a mark of greatness, never seeks advice and never asks for prayer for himself. He sometimes behaves strangely, sleeping in a boat during a storm and allowing Lazarus to die without explaining his actions. Such behavior can be considered virtuous only in God himself. 
Once again, these texts do not teach Jesus' deity. They presuppose it. Do you get what he's saying? That it just as you read it, it's the only thing that makes sense of it. In fact, I want to show you two things. Those are just little references to things he was talking about. I want to show you two passages where, where Jesus does this. Both of these passages I want to show you. I want you to see these are the words of Jesus. And what he says, he does not say the words, I am God. But I want you to see what he does say. The first one I want to show you is Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew 16, uh, verse 24, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this. He says, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself. Let me just pause right there. So he's saying, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. Anybody that wants to be one of my followers, you need to take what's important to you, your preferences, your values, all that, set that all aside. Okay? Deny himself, take up his cross. We have to remember that at the time this was written, this was not a piece of jewelry. This was an execution device, right? So he's saying, you want, to, you want to come with me, you have to deny yourself and you have to be ready to be executed for me, right? Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me, so weird, not because of God, whoever loses his life because of me will find it. So he's saying, Get, like, don't worry about your stuff, worry about my stuff, right? Be ready to be executed for me. And if you don't, if you just live your life however you want, like trying to save your own life, ultimately that's gonna be bad for you. You're gonna lose your life, right? But if you lose your life for me, that's gonna be good for you. Who says this? Verse 26, what will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? He seems to be saying that living for him is more important than your whole life. Why would he say this? Well, he keeps going. Verse 27, for the son of man, and this is a reference to himself. There are many times where Jesus referred to himself as the son of man. He does it earlier in the same chapter. For the son of man is going to come. He's explaining why it would be good for them to live their whole lives for him and even die for him. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Who talks like that? Not a good religious teacher, right? I mean, if I, we might say, there might be people that would say like, oh, no, no, Jesus, he's not God, but he's a good religious teacher. No way. That's not how good religious leaders talk. If I preached like this, you would not appreciate it, right? If I got up here and said, okay, here's what we do at Good News Church. This is, this is how you follow, okay? You, you deny yourself. Get rid of all the stuff that you care about. Just be concerned about the stuff I care about, all right? And be ready to be executed for me. And when that happens, like, don't freak out, because right? I'm going to be there on the throne on Judgment Day, rewarding everybody and making everything right. If I preach like that, there is not a person in here that would be like, what a good, I know he's not divine, but he's such a respectable religious leader. No, you would be running out of here. Some of you would join Meadowbrook so fast, it'd make my head spin. <laughs> you would say, who does he think he is? Why is he talking like that? Because that's not how a good religious leader talks, right? There's something in us that just knows that. Okay, so let's look at John chapter 20, another example. John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. But one of the 12... Thomas, called twin, was not with them when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples kept telling him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. So if you don't know, this is the Doubting Thomas story. Okay, If you've ever heard of Doubting Thomas, this is where the phrase comes from. Because Thomas was one of the disciples. Jesus rose again from the grave. He did not believe. He did not believe because the other disciples saw him alive and they started telling, hey, this is what we saw. And Thomas said, if I don't see with my own eyes, I'm not going to believe it. So this is what happens next. Verse 26. After eight days, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came, stood among them, and he said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and observe my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be an unbeliever, but a believer. Now, look how Thomas responds to Jesus. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my what? God. When he saw Jesus alive again after he was dead, he said, my Lord and my God. Now, what should a good religious teacher say at that point? He should say, whoa, let's not get carried away here. I'm not your Lord, right? I'm not God, right? I'm the one that's pointing you to God. So I'm here and you're a human and I'm a human. We together, we're supposed to both be worshiping the Lord. We're both supposed to be worshiping God. That's what a good religious leader would say. What does Jesus say in response to my Lord and my God? Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Those who believe without seeing are blessed. Who does this man think he is? And so when you look at these passages, I'm just trying to point out to you, in none of the passages I read to you, does Jesus say the words, I am God? It's just understood. It's taken for granted. The stories don't make sense otherwise. But once you understand that, it throws out the possibility of respectable, good religious teacher. There's just no way that's an option anymore. And that's not really an argument that I've come up with. As far as I know, the first person to really make that argument was C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a brilliant scholar who lived in the 50s and 60s. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, which some of them were made into movies, and so he's well known for that. But he also wrote a book called Mere Christianity, probably his most influential book. And in that book, there's an argument that he makes. It's not long. It's just a couple of paragraphs. And it's been, it has come, become to me known as the, the Great Trilemma. And the Great Trilemma, and I, I don't think he named it that. I think it was named that after he died. Um, but the Great Trilemma is, well, first of all, the, the word is talking about three. Like, you know what a dilemma is, right? Either this or either this, right? So a trilemma would be either this, either this, or this, right? Three things. And the three things in the trilemma are liar, lunatic, or lord, Okay? That, that in just the course of a couple of paragraphs, C.S. Lewis says, these are the only options that we have. I'm just going to put it in my own words. But basically, he said, these are the only options that we have. Because Jesus spoke the way he did, with the whole deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, I will return with my angels on judgment day. Right? People say, my Lord and my God. He says, blessed are those who believe. Right? Because Jesus spoke the way he did, the only options are, he could have been a liar, meaning he could have claimed to be God and Savior and all these things, and he could have known that it wasn't true, and he was just trying to trick people, into, so he was forming this religious movement. Like, that's possible, right? That happens. There are people who lie. There are religious con artists. Jesus could have been someone who lied about himself in order to gain a following. Another option is that he wasn't lying, that he was just crazy. That could be. The idea would be that when Jesus said, hey, don't worry if you lose your life for me because I'm going to be the one that shows up again on judgment day and makes everything right and punishes the evildoers. I'm in charge of all that. Like he could have said that not because he was lying, but because he believed it. 
I'm sure there are some people on this planet right now that believe that. Like they think that they're God and they're the ones that are gonna judge everyone on judgment day, right? And we look at them and go, whoa, they're crazy. Well, that could have been the case. Crazy's been around for a long time, right? Jesus could have been the greatest con artist that ever lived, or he could have been a lunatic, or the words that he said were true, and he's the Lord of heaven and earth. But those are the only options. When you see how he presented himself, he, he could be lying, he could be crazy, or he could be the Lord. But good religious teacher who's not divine, but yet very respectable in his teachings, C.S. Lewis's whole point is that option is not even on the table. And so the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is divine. Now, why does this matter? I could imagine you could be here and go, okay, Mario, you said you were going to teach that Jesus is God. And in fact, you did teach Jesus is God. But why does that matter? And I would say to you this, I'm sure, first of all, I am sure there are lots of reasons that that matters. But let me today just give you one. And the one reason I want to give you is this. It matters so that you worship God for who he really is. Why does what we learn today matter? It's so that you will worship God for who he really is. Or maybe to say it this way, so that you will worship the right God. There have been a lot of conceptions of God, right and wrong, throughout history. Ra, Chemosh, Baal, Shiva, Krishna, Zeus, Yahweh. Who's the real God? Like, of the gods that people have conceived of, of the gods that people have talked about throughout history, which one is the real God, the one that's worthy of your worship? And the answer this morning is, the Jesus one, like the one who revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. He's the one. He's the real God worthy of your worship. Now, I can imagine that somebody might object to that and say, well, no, see, here's the thing. That, I get what you're saying here. But Mario, I don't follow Christianity, but that doesn't mean I don't follow God. Like, I still worship God. I just don't follow him the way you do. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a Christian, but I still, like, I'm someone who, I'm a spiritual person who follows God. And it seems like you're saying, if you don't follow like Christianity, like Jesus, like that God, right, then you don't follow God. To which I'm saying, well done, that is exactly what I'm saying. And you might say, yeah, but no, I don't, just, I don't believe that. Like, I think that I'm, like, I'm glad that Christianity works for you. Like, that's great, Mario. More power to you. I'm happy that. I'm happy that Christianity works for you. It doesn't work for me, okay? My dad was a deacon, and ooh, I saw some stuff, and ooh, it was awful, and just, Christianity's not for me. But that doesn't mean I don't follow God. I'm just following him a different way than you are, Mario. I'm, I'm, in fact, I would say we're both worshiping the same God uh, by a different name. Have you ever heard this before? I think it's, I think it's very common to say that. And, and here's my response. No, I don't think so. I don't think that's a thing. I strongly believe that is not a thing. And so let me go ahead and explain it to you. Let, first of all, let me go ahead and explain it. Let me explain one sense in which that could be true. And let me explain why, in general, I would say that is not true. There is one sense in which it could be true. It is possible that you could have two different people worshiping the same God um, under different names. So here's an example. Um, this morning, we gathered together and we sang songs to Jesus. Like we worshiped Jesus in our songs. Like one of the songs we sang said, um, oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. All right, so we worshiped Christ this morning. Now, there probably were, in fact, almost certainly there were churches in South America this morning 
that sang songs, worship songs this morning, and they sang to Jesucristo because Jesucristo is the Spanish word for Jesus Christ. You following me? So that would be an example of two different people, two different groups of people worshiping the same God under two different names. And so I just wanted to be clear. Of course, that's a thing. Like I grant that there are languages, okay? There are different languages and different words for things in different languages. I fully grant that. But what I'm saying is, if someone rejects Jesus for some other understanding of God, they're not worshiping God. They're not worshiping the true God. And so let me illustrate this by referring to my wife. Okay, so I want you to just imagine I have a wife. This shouldn't be hard. I actually do. So imagine I have a wife named Heidi, in fact. Let's go with that, okay? And I imagine I say, okay, I love Heidi, okay? That, that's possible for me to do. I could say, I love Heidi. Now, could someone else come along and also love Heidi, but, but communicate that in a different way with different words? And the answer is... Yes, okay, in fact, a, a good example of someone I think that could do that would be someone that's sitting right over there, my mother-in-law, okay? So Heidi's mom, my mother-in-law, I could imagine that there could be a day where I would say the words, I love Heidi, and she says, I love my daughter. So what's happening in that instance? We are both talking, we're both loving the same person, we're talking about the same person, I chose her proper name, she chose to use a title for her daughter, but we are using different words to say the same thing. You following me? Okay, but now imagine this. Imagine a third person comes along and says, I love her too, and I call her Laura. And I love her short black hair, and I love that she's not competitive when it comes to playing games. <laughs> and I love when she puts the cereal away, she rolls the bag down in order to keep it fresh. <laughs> if they said that, this is, what, this is what I would know, that that person doesn't even know Heidi. <laughs> right? Because she has long blonde hair, she is very competitive, and she doesn't care about keeping cereal fresh. <laughs> I don't know why. I think you taught it to her. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I got a little carried away there. My point in saying that is this we would never look at that situation and go, oh, they're just loving the same person under a different name. It would be so obvious. No, that's not loving a different person under a different name. That's not knowing her, right? That's just not knowing the person. And that's what I'm trying to say. As human beings, it is important that the object of our worship be the God that actually exists. And that God is the one revealed in Jesus Christ. So let me end this sermon the way I began it, by pointing out that there will come a day when you will be tempted to think, maybe I'm taking Jesus too seriously. It might be just in your own head that you think like, am I overvaluing him? Because this is, this is hard. Or it might be that someone else is talking to you and they're saying like, come on, come on, don't you think you're like prioritizing this religious stuff a little bit more than necessary? And there will be a time where you're going to be like, uh, should I just take the easy route or should I do what Jesus wants me to do? Like, should I do what makes him happy or should I do what makes me happy? And in fact, I said that that temptation is going to show up one day and that's not actually true. That is going to show up over and over and over and over again. That temptation is evergreen. 
And in those moments, you must remember that Jesus Christ is God. He cannot be overvalued. He cannot be overtrusted. He cannot be overobeyed. He cannot be overloved. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, we pray to you in a way that we couldn't talk to any other being. <laughs> like we, could, we could talk to you in our head in a way that we could never do with anyone else. Like you can read minds. We could pray silently. We can't talk silently with anybody, but, but we can with you. And so we recognize you as God. We recognize you as the word become flesh. We, we recognize you as the one who was with God and was God and created all things. Like we declare that this morning. You are our God. And so we worship you. And I thank you. I thank you that we can't go overboard, that we think, well, I don't know. Is this overworship? Is this too much obedience? Is this, am, I, am I going too far? I thank you that we can't do that. And so we love you, and I pray that you would like, help us and equip us to be able to love you as best as we can in this life, in the midst of our sin. I pray if there's anybody here who does not know you, I pray that their eyes would be open this morning. Maybe they already have. I praise you that their eyes have opened this morning. And I just pray that they would, they would look at you and go, whoa, I just, I hadn't seen it this way, but I, I, I now realize. I, I pray at the, at the very least that they would go, okay, good religious teacher. I gotta stop, I gotta stop saying that. That doesn't make any sense. And yet, when I look at what is written in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it sure doesn't seem like he was a liar or a lunatic either. And I pray that they would come to know you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for grace. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.